0: time you want at your virtue restaurant welcome back humans welcome to our episode on obedience aka the portion controller ah! you're ever on a diet or you realize that you uh, you eat too much or you eat too much of the wrong thing and then you learn this idea of controlling your portions. So I can eat, right? I have to eat, but I shouldn't eat too much or too much of anything like sugar or salt or whatever. You know, you know this concept of portion control, controlling what you eat. It's AKA also known as a diet. So that's why I've chosen that title for this obedience, in a way, is controlling your portions. We'll explain later. We'll get into it and explain. But first, I'm going to start with a quote from Scripture. This is what our reflection from the dialogue will revolve around. In the book of Romans, this is St. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, to the Romans. Chapter 5, verse 19, St. Paul says, For just as through the disobedience of one person, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. Of course, if you've ever done a Bible study, you know that St. Paul is talking about Jesus in that passage. He's saying that Jesus is the one who is obedient, and through his obedience we will all be made righteous. What does God say about this to Catherine in the dialogue? In the section of the dialogue called Divine Providence, it begins thus. Then the High Eternal Father turned the eye of his mercy toward her with ineffable kindness, as if to show her that in all things his providence for humankind never fails anyone who is willing to receive it. And he uttered a tender complaint about humankind, saying, "Oh, my dearest daughter, as I have told you so often, I want to be merciful to the world and provide for my reasoning creatures every need. But the foolish take for death what I give for life, and are thus cruel to themselves. I always provide, and I want you to know, that what I have given humankind is supreme providence. It was with providence that I created you, and when I contemplated my creature in myself, I fell in love with the beauty of my creation. It pleased me to create you in my image and likeness with great providence." I provided you with the gift of memory so that you might hold fast my benefits and be made a sharer in my own, the Eternal Father's power. I gave you understanding so that in the wisdom of my only begotten Son, you might comprehend and know what I, the Eternal Father, want. I who gave you graces with such burning love, I gave you a will to love, making you a sharer in the Holy Spirit's mercy, so that you might love what your understanding sees and knows. All this my gentle providence did, only that you might be capable of understanding and enjoying me and rejoicing in my goodness by seeing me eternally. And as I have told you many times, I wanted to make it possible for you to reach this goal. Heaven had been closed because of Adam's sin. He did not know his own dignity. Considering with what ineffable love and providence I had created him, So he fell into disobedience, and from disobedience into impurity, because of pride and his desire to please a woman. For he was so concerned about pleasing and bowing to his companion, even though he did not believe what she said, that he consented to to disobey my command rather than offend her. And this disobedience has been and is the source of all the evils that have come after it. All of you have been infected with this venom. So, to take away this death, dearest daughter, I gave humankind the word, my only begotten son, thus providing for your need with great prudence and providence. And God also says, it's in parentheses here, later I shall tell you how dangerous this disobedience is so as to recommend obedience to you. So it's interesting how God doesn't blame, God doesn't blame Eve. God doesn't blame Eve for taking the apple. He actually blames Adam. It's fascinating. God says that Adam wanted to please Eve, and so he ate the apple. He was so afraid of her being displeased, her not being happy with him, that he did what he knew was wrong. Why do I say this is so fascinating? It's not just because I'm a feminist who says, okay, well, why is it always the woman's fault? Why is the man never responsible? Yada, 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 yada. It's not that. It's not that. What's interesting about this is that it's relatable. I have heard so many times men saying, well, as long as my wife is happy, then my life is happy. You know, happy wife, happy life. And, Adam could say the same thing. Adam could say, well, I didn't want to upset Eve because, you know, that wouldn't be good. We would not be a happy couple if I upset her and didn't do what she told me to do. (laughs) I'm saying this jokingly, but you can see how it it does relate to uh, everyday life here in the 21st century. It does does, uh, speak to us in that sense. And then God continues to say that... uh, Because of that disobedience, because of um, Adam disobeying God's command in favor of not having his wife upset with him, now all of us are infected with the venom of sin. It's interesting. It's interesting to reflect on. And we are going to pause right there and take a break for an ad. And when we come back, we are going to continue reflecting on what I just shared be right back. Okay, back from our break. What I shared in the first half was God explaining to Catherine his providence for humankind, how much he loves humankind, how much he delights in the fact that he created humanity. He even uses the word that I fell in love with my creation. But then he says, oh, Adam... Adam was so afraid of offending Eve that he disobeyed my command. If you remember in Genesis, God commanded Adam and Eve to not eat of the one tree, not eat the fruit of the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they disobeyed him. And God says, Adam, he blames Adam and says that Adam was more concerned with pleasing his wife than he was with following that command. Now, we could take that as um, meaning all of us, because if you've ever studied this or heard anybody say that the word Adam, where we get the name Adam in Hebrew, means dirt or man, humanity. Not man as in male gender, but man just as in humanity. So you could take it as God's blaming Adam, or you could see it in its wider context and just see that God is saying, you humans, because you're so afraid of having other people not like you or be offended by you, you disobey my commandments. You ignore your dignity, as God says about Adam. He says that he, uh, did not know his own dignity. Adam did not know his own dignity. And he did not consider what ineffable love and providence God had created him. In what effable love, with what ineffable love and providence God had created him. He had forgotten about that because he was so worried about Eve being upset with him. And you could apply that to anybody. How many times, have we in our own lives we can confess we did something that we knew was wrong simply because we didn't want to have somebody else upset with us god says this is what caused all of humanity to be infected with the venom of sin that might be a new way of looking at it you you, my listeners here you may have thought about it this way but you may not have At the root of that original sin, at the root of what we call Adam and Eve's original sin, is just not wanting to be not liked. So concerned with our own selves and our own desires and so concerned with other people liking us that we disobey God's commands. Eve took the fruit because... It was beautiful to the eye, and she was hungry, and then Satan tempted her, and then Adam listened to what she told him and didn't want to upset her, so he ate it too. That's the root of our sin, focusing on, well, this is what I want to do, and I like this thing, and I don't want other people to not like me. I don't want to be the uncool one that says, Hey, guys, you shouldn't do that. I want people to think I'm cool. I want I want to fit in. But then you disobey God's commands. And what happens? You bring death upon yourself. You bring death upon yourself. And I'm not going to go into a whole study of this this section of Genesis, <clears throat> but you will you can find in other studies where people talk about just the, the uh, desires of the flesh that Eve saw with her eyes that the fruit was beautiful and it looked tasty and she was hungry and it's you know Satan talking in her ear and making her doubt what God says, you know, he. Satan asks her, did God really tell you that you would die? You know, he plants that seed of doubt. I encourage you, if you've never done a a Bible study on this, do that. But that's not what I'm going to focus on primarily here. What I am going to focus on is what God has said to Catherine about obedience and disobedience. Because, as I said in my intro to this series, I'm hoping that from this you will see virtue in a way you maybe haven't before. So, to put all the other Bible studies aside, they're good, and I encourage you to do them. I'm going to put them aside so we can look at it from a different angle. I'm going to continue on with what God says to Catherine. I say, with prudence, because with the bait of your humanity and the hook of my divinity, I caught the devil, who could not recognize my truth. This truth, the incarnate word, came to destroy and put an end to his lie, which he had used to deceive humankind. Just think, dearest daughter, I could have used no greater prudence and providence than to give you the word, my only begotten son. On him I imposed a great obedience, in order to draw out the venom that through disobedience had befallen the human race. So God... Says to Catherine here that our humanity was used as bait, and his divinity was used as a hook. And then he starts talking about the Word, his incarnate Son. Continue on. Thus, he, in love as he was and truly obedient, ran to his shameful death on the most holy cross, and by his death gave you life, not by the power of humanity but by the power of my Godhead. For I and my providence had joined my Godhead, the divine nature with your human nature, to make satisfaction for the sin that had been committed against me, infinite goodness. That sin demanded in- infinite satisfaction. In order to make satisfaction to me, because I am infinite, and for past, present, and future humanity, human nature, which had sinned and was finite, had to be united with something infinite. So God is saying that the humanity he used as a bait was joined to his divinity, which was the hook. And where are these two things joined? In Jesus. In the incarnate word, the only begotten son of God. His Godhead was united to our humanity. So as to trap the devil in his lie, he lied to Eve To trap him in his lie and to draw out that venom from us, God became man in Jesus Christ. The Godhead was united with our humanity in order to make satisfaction for the sin that had been committed. The satisfaction that had to be made was infinite. And the only way you can make infinite satisfaction is with something infinite so God says his Godhead, is infinite. But since sin was committed by someone finite, humanity, that also had to be incorporated. So you have Jesus who is both God, fully God, and fully man. Continuing on. Now, no matter how greatly people sin, they can find perfect satisfaction if they are willing to return to me during their lifetime. Because you have received perfect satisfaction through that union of my Godhead with your humanity. This was the work of my providence, that through a finite deed, for the word suffering on the cross was finite, you have received infinite fruit by the power of the Godhead. So, God is illustrating again the point of salvation. If you are willing, and during your lifetime... You turn to Him and you receive this grace, this satisfaction that Jesus made. You receive that satisfaction for all of your sins, every sin you have ever committed in the past, every sin that you will ever commit in the future. If you receive that infinite grace that has been united to your finite human nature in the person of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, then you can have that sin removed. You can have that venom drawn out of you. And why? Is it just because Jesus died? No. As we reflect back on what God said above this, on him I imposed a great obedience in order to draw out the venom that through disobedience had had befallen the human race. Because Jesus was obedient to God's will, it reversed the damage that was done by our disobedience. As that quote from Romans says, through one man's disobedience, all of humanity suffers. But now through one man's obedience, all of humanity is saved. Why is this? Let's continue reading. I, God your Father, the Eternal Trinity, in my infinite eternal providence, saw to it that humankind was reclothed when you had lost the garment of innocence, and were stripped of all virtue, and perishing from hunger, and dying from the cold in this life of pilgrimage. You were subjected to every sort of misery. The gate of heaven had been locked, and you had lost all hope of attaining it. If you could only have taken hold of this hope, it would have been a comfort for you in this life but you did not have it, and great was your distress. But I, Supreme Providence, saw to this need of yours, constrained not by any justice or virtue of yours, but by my own goodness, I clothed you anew in the person of this gentle, loving word, my only begotten Son. He, by stripping himself of life, clothed you anew in innocence and grace. You receive this innocence and grace and holy baptism by the power of the blood that washes away the stain of original sin in which you were conceived, which you contracted from your father and your mother. So Jesus obediently went to his death, allowing himself to be stripped of any kind of selfishness or self will or just wanting to do what seemed to make more sense. Wouldn't it have made more sense for God to have just said, okay, everybody, you're all saved now. Don't worry about it. You're all saved. It's fine. I am so good, and I am so grand, and I am so great, and I love you so much that you're, you're saved. It's fine. Don't worry about it. No, that's not the way he chose to do it. And Jesus obeyed this. Jesus could have said no. If you reflect on the uh, scene of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can find it in the Gospels, where he actually struggles with what's about to happen, and he says to God, the Father, if only you could take this cup from me, if only there was another way The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus struggled in his humanity to go through with it. Because remember, he's fully human. He's fully God and he's fully human. And he feared death. He feared the pain and the anguish and the beating and the bloodshed and all this. He didn't didn't want to do it. It, It's unnatural. It's unnatural to us for our, our bodies to be beaten and blood to come out of them. We don't want that jesus didn't want to have to do that and he actually says to god if there be another way father let me do it but then he concludes not my will but yours be done not my will but yours be done in that sentence we find the essence of obedience For us to grow in virtue, in the virtue of obedience, we must repeatedly use those same words. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. I hope that you gained a new perspective on obedience from listening to this episode. I hope that you also gained a new respect for... The dignity of our humanity and how much God loves us that he he would actually become one of us just to save us. He could have done it any other ways, God. He's infinite. He can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. But as he told Saint Catherine, my providence to you, wanting to supply your every need Loving you so much that I wanted to supply for your for your every need, I wanted to provide you everything single thing you could ever possibly need I sent my son to take on your human nature so that you may be saved God bless and thank you for listening y'all come back now you hear